Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore how to make space for everyone in the yoga community. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. Hi, I'm your host, Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of Accessible Yoga. And I'm your co-host, Amber Carnes. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Board of Directors. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I'm very excited today to have Bill Brown here, the executive director of Prison Yoga Project. Hi, Bill. Hello. How are you? Very good. Very good. Good. I, I wanted to introduce you before we get started, and I have um, a bio for you. So let's see. Bill Brown, you all, I said you're the director, executive director of Prison Yoga Project, which is a nonprofit organization that supports incarcerated people worldwide with trauma-informed yoga and mindfulness programs. And through his work with PYP, he hopes to promote social change, transforming our systems and culture to create more inclusive, equitable, and just world. Oh. That's nice. Bill began working with PYP in 2013 and had served in federal, state, and county facilities. In 2016, he began offering training with PYP and trauma-informed yoga for incarcerated people and assumed the executive director's role in 2018. He's a contributing editor to the Yoga Service Council book, Yoga Practices, Best Practices for Yoga in the Criminal Justice System. And in his downtime, Bill enjoys the creative outlets of photography and cooking and is an avid reader of science fiction. That's exciting. Yes. I like to watch science fiction, to be honest. I oh, like to me read too. A I've been reading Octavia Butler recently. I don't know if you like her. Uh, yes, absolutely. I do. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really excited for the new season of The Expanse to come out because the books oh, yeah, were fantastic and so... the series has been fantastic as well. And Foundation, have you seen that new show? I haven't seen it's any done. of that yet, oh, but the reviews goodness. look good, right? It's amazing. Yeah. I haven't uh, read those books, actually, Isaac Asimov, but I think it's like one of his kids that produced this. Um, oh, really? His work. Yeah. Oh, wow. Anyway, let's talk about you. Sure. <laughs> Bill, so tell me, I just want to know like how you got involved in this work. So yeah, is there mm -hmm. a story there, like something to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I have always had an interest in um, Buddhism and meditation, but I was never really settled enough to be able to cultivate a sitting practice. So this is something that's always been interesting to me, um, you know, most of my life, but it wasn't until I was 40 that I actually found my way into my first yoga class. And in the class, it was a um, uh, heated power vinyasa yoga practice. Um, we got into pigeon pose. And mm. when we got to pigeon pose, I immediately started crying. And uh, it was very confusing okay. for me. Um, then again, in Savasana, for a different reason, uh, I, I felt at home in my body. For the first mm. time, I felt a peace and a, and a centeredness that I'd, I'd never experienced before. And once again, uh, started crying. Was that in um, your first class? You said very first class. Yeah, oh, and and wow. I had been my my friends had been begging me to go to yoga. They lived a half a block away from the studio, and they were going on a regular basis. And I was resistant um, for all the usual reasons. You know, I'm too old. I'm not flexible. I've got extraordinarily tight hamstrings, um, and uh, uh, you know, it's just not for me. I don't 
don't look like the typical uh, yoga practitioner that goes to a heated vinyasa studio. But I relented and I went. And so very first practice have this significant emotional release. Um, so I'm hooked. I'm fascinated. And I walk out of the room and I had the means at the time to sign up for unlimited, you know, yoga and started going three times a week, four times a week, and ultimately up to eight times a week. Um, I was getting um, something out of it that I didn't really understand, but I knew that I needed it. In order to understand, I answered the call when the teacher asked, are you, you know, whether you want to teach yoga or just deepen your practice, we're having a yoga teacher training. And once again, I was working at the time as a software developer, um, and, and there's a good income that comes along with that kind of work. Um, so I had the means to say yes to doing this yoga teacher training. Um, uh, in the yoga teacher training, James Fox showed up as uh, to do an afternoon uh, session with us. And it was about three quarters of the way through the training. We were all really well bonded at that point. There were about 25 of us and we're in the studio and just chatting away. Um, and James walks in and he comes to the front and he just sits down and he starts meditating. And within a few minutes, the room falls silent and he started guiding a centering practice, an embodied centering practice. And this was new to me, but it felt like, oh, that's something I could do. I, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to you know, hold space like that. Um, he came back a few months after our YTT um, concluded and did a weekend workshop. This was uh, at the beginning of 2013 and really introduced this idea of yoga as therapy, which was, you know, I think on the periphery, but really moved that concept to center for me after that training. And uh, six months later, I found myself going inside to teach uh, alongside uh, Buddhists group that was going in and having Buddhist services. So I'd go in with the Buddhists and they'd open up some space for us to do a little bit of mindful movement practice. And that was in a, in a prison? Yeah. Yeah. That was at RJ Donovan State Prison in uh, San Diego, California. Um, so along with that, um, knowing, well, boy, I don't have any experience teaching at this point. I don't have any experience uh, going into prisons. And so um, uh, I wanted to get a little bit better prepared. And there was a woman um, who was going in with the Buddhists and she was a yogi as well. And she was doing yoga in the prison. So I reached out, I wanted to, mm -hmm. to uh, meet Susan Marcus. She happened to be doing a workshop with uh, Soleil Hepner from uh, Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy. So that's how I wound mm -hmm. up in my first Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy uh, half day workshop. Immediately, again, blew my mind, um, this idea of using your yoga practice as a way of reflecting on how you show up in life. Um, mm. You know, am I able to allow myself to be supported? How much do I push myself? Uh, do I go easy on myself or am I really hard on myself? Um, how is that showing up in my day to day life? So signed up again, I had the means to do it. I signed up for yeah. yoga therapy training. I would never have the money to be able to afford stepping into a yoga therapy training at this point in my life. 
I, what kind of I work were you know. doing? Uh, I was a corporate IT web developer wow. um, for uh, for Illumina, who is the company that does ninety for the the equipment and chemistry that they develop. Ninety five percent of the uh, world's uh, genetic sequencing is done with Illumina's technology. So, wow. and they were two thousand twelve. They were on the rise. We were doubling in size every year. And uh, yeah, it, it, it ultimately uh, got to be um, the, the corporate environment became pretty traumatizing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so I had to I, I had to make a choice after my yoga therapy training. Um, mm-hmm. One more piece of this that that uh, kind of came together and ties back to that emotional release um, as part of my yoga therapy training, we um do we were doing an exercise called legs to sides where you finish with the practitioner uh, pulling traction on the client's legs um i was the client and uh anjali was the practitioner and she's uh, uh giving traction to my leg and i noticed that i'm lifting my right hip up uh i'm i'm helping her mm-hmm. and i thought well what happens if i just settle my hip back down to the mat and I do that and I let my muscles relax and I let my hip settle back down to the, to the mat. And immediately, um, uh, I'm back in the hospital bed at age four. What had happened, uh, at age four, I had broken my right femur compound fracture, pretty serious. And they'd placed me in a cast that went from my ankle up to my uh, chest and been back down past the other knee in an L shape. And then in order to uh, keep my legs lifted, they wrap bandages around my feet um, and caused pressure points, cut off the blood uh, circulation. Ultimately, I began to develop gangrene. And so in this moment, when I am releasing my hip back down, suddenly I am remembering being in the bed and lifting to try and take the pressure off my heels and lifting up that heavy cast. And this had gone on for about four days while the doctors ignored my complaints that something was wrong. And in hindsight, you know, this is pretty classic trauma. Uh, I'm experiencing a situation that's life-threatening, it's overwhelming, and I can't help myself to get out of it. And there's a social disconnection there in the sense that I'm asking for help and those pleas are being ignored. And ultimately, this led to this mantra that I had um, that God doesn't love me. And so from age four, I'm operating under this you know, low level, um, you know, phrase that passes through my mind that God doesn't love me. And I'd been in therapy prior to going into just stop for a second. So you're saying that 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 Mm -hmm. thought came to you because you were suffering so much as a child that you felt that God didn't love you. So that's what you mean, that you just, you started to feel abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It reminds me, I don't know if you know Matthew Sanford's work, you know, in his um, book, Waking, I haven't read it yet. Oh, wow. Well, so he describes being, you know, he was in a car accident when he was 13, where parts of his, you know, I think his father and his sister died. And then he um, was paralyzed himself and basically in kind of like a support cast situation for months on end, which he describes in detail in the book and describes Mm -hmm. how yoga then helped him from that. 
it's an amazing it's an amazing book i mean i love matt matthew samper he's an incredible teacher so you might enjoy that so sorry yeah. i didn't mean to interrupt you yeah. but i was trying to clarify no. so that led to this idea that you're that god had abandoned you or something i didn't love you yeah god forsaken mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah and this was the you know and so and and then also so i would go into therapy and i would tell that story and this i, I had been in therapy for years and i would tell that story like every third session and the whole thing was just me bawling the whole time. And in that moment, when I was able to relax those muscles in my hip, um, uh, I have this recovered memory. It's as though I was experiencing what it had actually been like for the first time. And then I wept um, like I have never wept before for about 20 minutes solid, unable to catch my breath and unable to stop. Um, but more or less from that moment forward, I'm able to tell that story without feeling the emotional impact of it. And so this really uh, informs my understanding of what we're doing with trauma-informed yoga. Now, for me, my trauma was held in a very specific and localized place. Mm -hmm. When I was able to release that from the body, it depotentiates the emotion. I'm able to move that. That memory is no longer living in the present in my body. Um, I think for people who have more um, generalized trauma, like say, you know, systemic trauma, from poverty there's a tension that goes along with that but it influences the balance between uh the you know autonomic uh, nervous system fight flight and rest restore so you're in this op you know mode of always being in fight flight because there's this feeling of a present moment threat that's always there and in my case it was connected with this sort of spiritual disconnection as well which of course, I get into yoga and then I realize, well, oh, yeah. you know, I'm not God forsaken. I'm a mm. part of a universe that is divine. Yeah. Wow, that's an amazing story. And so then what, how was teaching in prisons? Did you start in a, yeah, maybe you could describe that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's nothing what I expected, honestly. Um so, you know, the first time you go down there and uh, you've got all the ways that uh, culture has uh, taught us to think about prisons and prisoners, that there's this, you know, violence and, you know, you got to constantly be watching your back. And to a certain extent, that's true. But the thing that really, you know, I remember the very first time I went in and uh, again, it was with the Buddhist group. We do get done with the services. And then at the end of the day, or at the end of the session, uh, there's two guys. One guy's in a wheelchair, and the other guy's a young guy. And the young guy has this stack of folders and books, which is his D&D &D gaming uh, stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the ways to pass time. You, you uh, get into your RPGs, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the younger guy says to the older guy in the wheelchair, he says, hey, you want to lift back to your place? And the older guy says, yeah. And so he takes his stack of books and he sets it in the older guy's lap and then wheels him out. And as I'm walking out towards the gate, I'm looking back over my shoulder at these two men and this younger guy and this older guy, you know, who he's pushing in the wheelchair and they're chatting. And so this is my the impression that I get of just this incredible kindness and caring and compassion 
and um, the yard was um, clear. And so there was, it's like out in the middle of nature in a way. There's walls and concrete all around it, but um, there's also a big mountain over here and the sun was setting. And so, yeah, it completely changed my perspective on that. Um, mm, that's a beautiful story. Yeah, and that first, first visit. Yeah. And it's changed again and again and again since then. The, the more uh, experience I have in different facilities and uh, the more people uh, that I meet, um, the more I've become aware of how mm. prison really shows us the ways in which society fails to care and in particular fails to care for those people who are further away from that dominant mm. center of um, white, male, heterosexual, uh, educated, uh, I don't think, yeah. well, they don't make up the vast majority, but wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. The further away from there you are, the more likely you are to become incarcerated. And, and generally, mm -hmm. it's because you've developed a behavior pattern that's helping you cope with an addiction. Um, you're being there's no support for your uh, for your mental health. And so you wind up homeless and then becoming, you know, in and out of jail because of that. Um, yeah. yeah. And. Can you describe maybe a little bit about the work um, that Prison Yoga Project is doing? Yeah. So there is, you know, and everything was disrupted by COVID. And so uh, we're, oh, you know, uh, the programs are rebooting all around the world. We have programs all around the world. We currently um, have programs in 11 different states. Um, we have programs in the UK, in uh, Sweden, in the Netherlands, in Israel, in India, in Australia, in New Zealand. It's uh, really a global enterprise. And what we do is offer training to help people understand uh, uh, what it's like to go into the system and then also understand, you know, issues of, um, you know, how, how we approach teaching in that environment is, is quite different than the studio. In the studio, you know, you have a, an instructor who's often giving commands, essentially, to students. Do this with your body. Do that with your body. Um, mm -hmm. These folks are told what to do with their bodies all day long. They don't have a choice and they don't have the option yeah. to say no. Um, to that. And so we really want to create a space where there is an, uh, a, a, an absolute agency. Um, it's a little bit impossible to achieve because you're, I'm also a free yeah. man coming into an environment and there's certain, um, you know, um, I have been asked like what level yoga master I am and I can't control that kind of projection. I mean, the answer is I'm a level zero yoga master because yeah. we're all level zero yoga masters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Funny. And so we offer training and then we also offer um, sort of like uh, the business back end for people who want to offer programs inside. So we help people uh, um, get programs funded and we help them administer those programs um, so that we can be operating in 
as professional a way because this is what gains us more access. The more we can be offering um, something that uh, uh, provides an evidence-based benefit that aligns with some of the rehabilitative goals of the system, um, then the more access we're, we're going to be able to get. Um, uh, that's part of it. Another part of it is um, really making sure that there's a criticism that's arisen lately that, you know, well, we're just helping people who are incarcerated to accommodate to a condition that's unjust. And mm. um, to a certain extent, from the way the system sees it, they would like to have less conflict, for instance. Mm. Um, but so would the people who are incarcerated there. Yeah. That's such, an interesting, that's such an interesting problem to be faced with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just want to say, I think um, it's just like the way the, the, that's happening in mindfulness and self-care practices in general. There's yeah. a little pushback, which I, um, I think is important to acknowledge that yeah. sometimes mindfulness and self-care is being sold to us as a replacement for actual community care from like in the U.S., for example, from the government, like, you know, like if you can't have paid time off when you're sick or whatever, like, oh, go meditate and take care of yourself yeah. that way. In a way, it's, it's not. But but the fact is that you you it's not like those things aren't beneficial. They're still useful. It's just that we also need the structures in place to support us as community, as um, you know, as humans. Hi everyone, it's Garrett from the Accessible Yoga Association, and we're taking a quick break from the podcast to say thank you to one of our supporting organizations, Yoga Moves MS. Yoga Moves MS is a nonprofit 501c3 organization and community. Their mission is to increase the quality of life and wellness for individuals impacted by multiple sclerosis and neuromuscular conditions by providing daily virtual and in-person adaptive yoga for any body in a supportive and empowering environment. Holistic health and mindfulness principles are weaved into their educational offerings. For over 15 years, Mindy Eisenberg, director and founder of Yoga Moves MS, together with her team of instructors, students, and care partners have created a vibrant, mighty community. The Yoga Moves MS annual event, Virtual Holistic Health and Wellness Forum for MS, receives international participation. Mindy offers highly experiential adaptive yoga moves any body teacher trainings attended by clinicians and yoga instructors. She is the author of Adaptive Yoga Moves Anybody and Adaptive Yoga Cards and Videos. Find out more about Yoga Moves MS by visiting yogamovesms.org. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's mm -hmm. the same inside, inside prisons and jails. Like people, yeah, sure, there needs to be radical change but the, like you said people also don't want conflict they they need access to these practices too yeah well and and then too you know when we get down to the to you know the deeper level of what we're really doing in yoga um uh you know which is i think to use like a shamanistic term soul retrieval you know we have been and you know i, I love the four agreements in that first chapter on domestication and how we have um, been um, 
influenced by our family relationships and our community relationships and the society that we live in um, to behave in a particular way or to believe in a particular way. And a lot of the experience that people who are incarcerated have had has been meeting an environment that is hostile and having to develop a way of navigating that environment that is based on a need for survival and a based on a, on a need for social belonging. But the fulfillment of those needs has been harmful either to themselves or to others. And so there is a, and oftentimes one of the things that I like to say is that, you know, when you're in that hostile environment and you don't feel supported, your community can diminish to yourself to be a single person. And you see a lot of times tattoos that say, trust nobody. And to regain that trust and and to be able to have a trusting relationship where you know that the other person is there for you that to me is what we're really there for and that is as much a yoga practice as alternate nostril breathing or warrior one <laughs> yes, but to, yes. to be in a to be able to have a loving and trusting yeah. relationship with others i love that i just i mean that's so much of the work of accessible yoga and what I've been trying mm -hmm. to do, you know, with just in general, like I feel, I felt like as a yoga teacher, I didn't have that myself. You know, I mean, honestly, I felt that the way that the yoga, you know, almost industry or the business side of yoga had been built up over the last, you know, 20 years was at odds with what yoga was about, you know, and I come from, I mean, I come from more of like an ashram yoga culture. And then to see the way yoga studios were functioning, I just felt totally separate from other teachers and there was no yeah. community. There's no focus on that, on connection and really accessible yoga grew out of that. I mean, the conference started because mm -hmm. of that need um, that we need to be there for each other. Um, I so can I really feel that. that. Yeah. I can really feel that in the training. And, and, and um, I was so, I was feeling like, oh man, we are so well aligned. Um, in in that kind of perspective, um, and so I really appreciate what you're doing. I am, thanks. Yeah, thank you. So I know. Necessary. I said you just took me. You just took the accessible yoga training, which was so nice of you to be there. I appreciate that. I learned <laughs> a lot that. too, and I got to okay. practice teaching that mixed level class because I go into uh -huh. yoga. I'm sorry, I go into prison, and I've got guys that can handstand in the middle of the room. And I've got yeah. guys that come in walk in walkers or in wheelchairs, and I want to be able to serve them equally, um, mm -hmm. and make sure that I'm able to do a practice. And this, so this is was you know like this you know again I'm, I want to know I want to have that skill, but then of course it's so much bigger than that. And and the way issues of you know agency, consent, uh, power, and privilege are addressed, and 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 then also just seeing the way you know yeah. yoga is like a or I'm sorry I keep saying yoga prison is like a distillation 
mm. of the ways in which those marginalized people, like it's the worst of the worst. And so it really helps you to see clearly, but then you start to see the way, say, um, autistic people or, or people who are, um, you know, missing a limb are uh, disenf disenfranchised. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Um, the same, you know, but then you go all the way fast forward to the typical yoga studio and it's like young, able-bodied, moneyed folks that are able to access it. And yet there's so much that um, every human being has to gain from it. And often those people who are furthest from the center might have the most to gain. Um, because it's such an effective tool for, for working with trauma and working with personal empowerment. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And this is, yeah, this is a real, uh, you know, I, so I trained as a Phoenix rising yoga therapist and I've done one-on-one -on -one yoga therapy work. And I have seen cases where in group practice, people have to dissociate because what they experience when they start to turn their attention towards their body instantly becomes overwhelming. And so being able to opt out and really setting uh, and establishing that when I say you don't have to practice, if you're required to be here, and usually we, you know, try to have our practices voluntary, if they're not voluntary, I always set it up and say, um, however you need to show up today, if you would like to just lie on your mat, uh, you're welcome to do that. Um, uh, you don't have to practice along. Of course, I'd love you to give it a try, but don't, don't, uh, don't feel like you have to do this because recognizing that even bringing awareness into the body, if you're holding significant trauma can be uh, overwhelming and you need to have a really, uh, careful, um, container so that you can titrate that if, if that's the type of, so it's like, maybe I want to dip a toe in and then it's like, well, Let's let's pull back and let's process that and let's talk about that. And so, so agency can I, is can I ask you? Yeah, how how does that um, show up as a teacher? Like, what does that look like in our yeah in the way we teach and share? So, um, so I was teaching at a recovery center. I was you know, and I so we I was facilitating a group practice at a at a recovery center. And um, I had a guy who would come into the room and um, I would give that option to opt out and he would, um, uh, you know, check his watch during practice and he just didn't really practice along. And one day I came in early and I, I you know, and I just asked him, I said, hey, what do you guys do before this? And he's telling me, you know, he goes, this group, that group, individual therapy, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and he said, so by the time I get here, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm done. And I'm like, that's, that's cool. No sweat. And of course, as a teacher, I'm thinking, well, I'm terrible and he's bored and it's my fault. 
And so then we, 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 this is the way I'd been thinking and managing that and recognizing that's probably my own uh, insecurities as a facilitator. And then uh, after we chatted for a little bit more, he says, you know, I, I gave it a try the first time. And he said, you know, I, it was like when you said, you know, notice what's happening in your body, I started to feel sick, started to feel ill, nauseous. Uh, so I had to stop. And then another bit of conversation and he says, you know, I know that this is what's keeping me stuck in my recovery and what, like whatever it is that's going on in my body that I can't address is what's blocking me. And I said, well, why don't we come in for a one-on-one -on -one session? And in that one-on-one -on -one session, we were able to just simply experiment with, um, I asked him, I said, you know, it might be triggering just to be sitting here with me. And he says, yeah, it is. And I said, well, what do you notice about this that's different? than other situations. And he says, well, I have my shoes off, never have my shoes off. And I'm like, tell me more about having your shoes off. And he says, well, I can feel the carpet underneath my feet. Okay. I've got something to work with. I'm like, well, what, how about stepping on this blanket? And then, you know, notice the sensation of your standing on the blanket and then notice standing on this cushion. And then I had thrown down a fuzzy uh blanket and he steps on the blanket and he says feminine tell me more about feminine and immediately he goes in on uh his relationship with his mother and the sensation of where the anger was held in his body that he experienced as a like a white hot searing rock lodged underneath his abdomen hmm. But then immediately it's like, then this is too much. Okay. We'll come back to the room and we'll process that. So what did you notice about that? What was it? And then we can talk about that. So it was in that space, wow. just exploring little different emotion or uh, sensations that he's experiencing that ultimately leads him into like where this block is being held. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, there's this white hot coal underneath your abdomen here. Where is it cool? What's the part? What's a part of your body that's cool? And so we start to find, oh, well, then over here on this shoulder, I feel coolness. And so we can work between those two parts. And rather than it becoming an all encompassing experience, it becomes something that is uh, located. And you can just, I mean, and it's a really client-directed process. Yeah. Well, that sounds like uh, Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy, but I'm just that curious. That is Phoenix for, Rising like, Yoga Therapy. What about ah. for group yoga teachers, yeah. like if you have so, some tips? Yeah. Yep, 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 exactly. So then so then making that, um, you know, taking that into a generalized um, space, like recognizing that if somebody is opting out, let them opt out. Give them permission to opt out and say, you know, if any, if, if you have, if you start to feel overwhelmed during this practice, um, you can take a pause, come into a neutral position, and maybe even you want to find something in the room that you can focus on that's not mm. your body. So like there's this plant over here and that kind of catches my eye and makes me feel calm and relaxed. Mm -hmm. So um, I just want to stop you and say how amazing that important that is just like right there, because I, I do think <laughs> that we we tend to like feel like going in, going in, going in is always good, you know, and like more and more, yeah. like more is better. You know, like that's that's kind of mm -hmm. the maybe Western approach. And I just feel like that's yeah. maybe the biggest mistake we make as yoga teachers is thinking more is better. 
Yeah. And so often in yoga, the, the subtle is powerful. The ability to stop, like you said, to find our boundaries, mm-hmm. to know ourselves mm-hmm. enough to say, I don't like that or I don't want to do that. That's so powerful. I love that. I love when students yeah. stop. You know, I love when I'm teaching yeah. something in a group and then someone does something different. Like that's exciting to me. It's it, yeah. It, yeah, I I love that. Oh yeah, and so and and there it is. Like, uh, yeah, how do you start to sh- to give? Um, how do you start to give that permission to explore around what I'm feeling in my body? Now, if somebody has heavy dissociation yeah. and they're not used to moving their body and everything, mm-hmm. it's often good to give some structures. Like you might try extending your arms straight out in front of you or up alongside your ears. And in Mm -hmm. fact, if you don't know which way you want your arms to be, give it a try both ways. And maybe you experiment uh, between these two variations. And then eventually, as you're working with a group, you, you know, they start to, to like, you'll see people sticking their arms out at their side, or maybe even reaching their arms behind them, because they're curious about it now. And, and now they're, they're into their, their own teacher. Because it's our own awareness and our own curiosity and our own exploration that is ultimately going to be, um, you know, our highest authority. And we're going to know ourselves through that process, not through me saying, you know, do this, extend your arms straight up in the air alongside your ears, because that's the way Iyengar said to do it. Um, yeah. Not to pick on car. No, I know, but it's just it's just <laughs> such a there's like a top down understanding of teaching that I think. It's true that we need to give people skills, but in the end, those skills are actually being used to become sensitive to what they want, what they need to become their own teacher, which is what you said. I think that's so yeah. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that to me, that's really advanced yoga is that ability to be able to decide what you need in that moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because ultimately I'm not going to be there. We're not going to be in the, whatever the yoga room is not going to have a mm-hmm. mat. We're not going to have like, it's like it is our own internal resources that when hmm. we get the news that our mother has passed or yeah. when we find out that we're losing our job or when somebody bumps into us in the chow line, you know, that's when our own ability to recognize what's happening in our body say, oh, mm-hmm. here it is. And I need to breathe or I need to bring my awareness down to my feet. Uh, maybe I need to walk away and go push on a wall because I wanted to punch that guy, but I'm not going to punch yeah. him. I'm, but I'm going to get that energy out of my body by pushing on yeah. this wall and using my arms in that way. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I mean, you know, like there are so many useful tools in the practice that can make our lives more, I don't know, like what we want, you know, rather than becoming victims of external situations, Mm -hmm. victims of our own reaction. You know, it's almost (laughs) like we, the body has learned to, to survive in a certain way. And then we end up becoming a victim of that because it it, it may not be working. Yeah, exactly. That is, yeah. yeah, And that to me, you know, like, um, you know, just getting into the yoga sutras, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, yoga's, uh, oh my gosh, yoga's titus friti naroda. 
I yeah. feel like I've yeah, got one of those out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that Vriti, that patterning, you know, that mm -hmm. like when we have an external experience and then all of a sudden whoosh, you know, we're carried away with it. If we can find the whoosh and figure out what's going on with the whoosh experience at first mm -hmm. and then say, oh, I don't have to be swept along with this, you know, yeah. uh, like maybe, maybe I was bullied and maybe my way of, of handling that was to punch back. Yeah. And that's what ultimately led me to this place. Um, but I can start to see, you know, maybe there's a different way. And, well, and then that, we're freeing ourselves of that. Right. And that, that quote, I mean, Yoga's Chitta Prati Narodaha from the sutras is, is actually so powerful because what yoga, what yoga is about is, yes, it's about quieting the mind, which is what that sutra mm -hmm. says. But then mm -hmm. the next sutra actually says, then you abide in your yes. true nature. And I think yeah. that's what's so amazing about yoga is like, it's not that you have to consciously do something else to be happy, but literally just being able to be with yourself, to be a little more peaceful mm -hmm. will bring about, you know, a, a deeper connection with yourself. Like we have that yeah. within us. We all have that, yeah. that joy and that peace, that spirit inside. And so yoga is about uncovering what's in the way. Yeah. The way I like to think of it from like a neuroscience perspective, you know, we have mm -hmm. experience, we've got this sensory apparatus that then the information from our senses gets passed over to the hypothalamus and all of that gets passed to the amygdala. And the amygdala is that survival process that, that evolved so long before our conscious minds did. And it is going to uh, be the body is going to start moving before the image of whatever is happening forms in our mind. Right. Um, so there's that fear based survival based immediate habituation that has kept us around for the eons that it took for us to evolve to be in this place. But then mm -hmm. there's this other part, right? The, uh, the uh, higher uh, neocortex part of our minds that are more about rational decision making and connection and love and uh, feelings of compassion and caring for one another. So if we can manage what's happening in that fear-based part of our brain through applying these yoga practices and not get caught up in the habituation, what remains is love and connection. And you don't have yeah. to get it don't have to cultivate that it's yeah. there that's what emerges when when we can manage the fear that's awesome well thank you i i don't know if you have more you want to share um, <laughs> we should have up there that was very powerful yeah, yeah. people thank can you. find out more about prison yoga project um on your website i'll put we'll have the notes mm -hmm. uh well links in the notes to that and to the work that you're doing um thank you so much and I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to share about it before we go. There is uh, uh, more to say than there is, I think, minutes in a day. And I think that feels good enough. Uh, if we're <laughs> ending on uh, 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 letting go of fear and moving into love and connection, I think that's a good enough place to Yeah, to that's a good it. place. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. 
Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org, to find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an Accessible Yoga Ambassador and support the work that we are doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guest you'd like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.